Well, good morning. It is great to be here with you. It's good to be back into town. Yes, I, I do have a little more of a tan than I did a couple of weeks ago, and I just thought it'd be great to start off this morning with just a little recap. If you remember two uh, weeks ago, we had 67 high school students and adults that were down in Belize on a missions trip, and uh, let me tell you what, um, I got the greatest job around. As missions and family pastor, and to be able to be a part of what God's doing uh, in around the world, and also to be able to come alongside with uh, some of our children through high school ministries, and uh, it was just an incredible week, uh, is the best way to describe it. I'll talk a little bit more about it in a little bit, but... Uh, uh, just uh, God did some amazing things throughout that week. I appreciate so much Pastor Mitch and uh, Katie Minahan and that, that whole, uh, all those volunteers, all those that went down there. Uh, it's fun for me on these trips. I kind of sit back a little bit and I'm just there to fix anything big. That's basically it. And just to interact with the young people and just to watch God work through them. And he did in a big way. And uh, it was just incredible to see so many of our young people um, it's just a God at work story after God at work story as they got up and, and shared in very public settings and some of our young people who are not accustomed to that and kind of shy and reserved and yet boldly stepping up. Uh, we did a lot of home visits where we were caring and going into homes of some sick and, and people that were struggling and couldn't get out of the home and we were working with two different churches and so we... Uh, uh, several days we're going into homes and praying with and talking with folks. Um, we had groups that were going into uh, hospitals and we're coming alongside folks in the hospital. And I use that term loosely. Let's just say Belizean hospitals are a little different than, than around here. And just to be able to come alongside some hurting people. And then uh, we did a lot of children's ministry and uh, just the relationships that were built as our young people poured into uh, these uh, lives in, in just some, some very big and impactful ways, many that prayed to trust Christ uh, through that week. And so just an incredible thing. And I think what struck me the most was the way God used so many of our young people and so many of them that have been through some difficult things on their own and some difficult things in their families and the vulnerability and the, and the thing where God had been working in their life and they were then able to share that out and then make an instant connection with so many that were there that were also in, in hurt and need and, and God did some great things through it. And so uh, just, uh, I just want to encourage you all, thank you so much for the prayers. Uh, it was uh, a lot of logistics and a lot of moving parts, but uh, uh, God was glorified through it, and uh, God is in control. Amen? Amen. That's really what our series is all about. It's just that, that God, ha that Jesus Christ has all authority. Pastor Mark uh, kicked off this series last week uh, with all authority in heaven and on earth, and I just want to invite you, we're going to jump into week two here and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter one. And we're going to start here in Mark chapter 1, and 
I think uh, it would be helpful here as we jump into this. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you, Mark is probably my favorite of the Gospels. Um, Mark is actually a little shorter than uh, the other three Gospels. Um, one of the things I like about the book of Mark is uh, the fact that it is just primarily, uh, it's just a lot of, of action statements and events. And a lot of times you don't get a lot of commentary on kind of the behind the scenes or what people are thinking and feeling and that as much. There's a little bit, but it's just, it's very action-centered uh, with, with just quick little descriptors and then moves on to the next event or action point. And so I, I really appreciate that. I, I kind of like you get a good synopsis of a lot of the events and sometimes in the other gospels will give a little more detail in that. Um, but I also just want to caution this as we're walking through this, sometimes it's easy though to just read the event and lose sight of the emotion and what it must have been like. And so as we're kind of working through this, I, I really want to take a few moments and, and as we're hitting the event, but also looking at what in the world do you think that they were thinking during that event? Mark starts off here, and just to kind of give a little background, starts off here, uh, we see John the Baptist who comes onto the scene, and he is a forerunner of Jesus, a forerunner of the Messiah. He starts preaching, saying, look, it is coming, the Messiah is coming, better get things straight, repent, the kingdom of, of, of God is at hand. And, and so he starts this preaching ministry, this foretelling of the Messiah that was going to come very shortly. And as you see there, uh, Jesus did come onto the scene, and we see the next event there that is described is the baptism of Jesus, where John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And so Jesus is there, we see the Holy Spirit that descends like a dove, we see God the Father who speaks in, a, in an unbelievably dramatic way for those that were there, and just validating his ministry and then we see Jesus is immediately led away by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, would have been down into the Judean wilderness, where he was uh, in the wilderness for 40 days, and he was fasting throughout that time, and it says that he was tempted by Satan in there. We see in, uh, in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 4, it gives a, a lot of description of what took place during the, those temptations and how Jesus uh, stood up to those temptations and um, then it says that John the Baptist then is arrested and at his arrest we see Jesus then starts moving up north out of the the Judean area in the wilderness there through Samaria up into the area of Galilee in the north and uh, he starts preaching himself there and repent and believe in the gospel there we see that taking place and then we see Another major event where Jesus then calls uh, Peter, uh, Simon, and Andrew. Simon's also named Peter uh, as they were out fishing with their father. As well, we see him calling James and John. So we see the first of the disciples that are called to ministry there with Jesus. And so we see a, several things that have taken place. And, and that's sort of where we pick up the story then. As Jesus is in that area of Galilee, and he has four disciples who are with him at this point. And we're going to pick up our story here in verse 21 of chapter 1 of Mark. And if you're taking notes here, the first point 
is to be in awe of Jesus' depth of insight. To be in awe of Jesus' depth of insight. We're going to see this phrase over and over, be in awe, and I think you're going to see it from the passage here as we see some of the responses of what takes place should drive us to a sense of awe and worship. In verse 21 and 22, we see this, and he went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So it says, and they went into Capernaum. And so Capernaum there is in that northern part of Galilee and and the Sea of Galilee, which is up in the north. And Capernaum is just up on the, the northwest corner there, right on the coast. It's really, it's a smaller town. We're going to see later in in the Gospels that Capernaum really becomes Jesus' home base after he's kind of rejected in Nazareth, which was his hometown. And and so Capernaum there is this coastal town right on the Sea of Galilee. And so they move into town, it says, and immediately. And one of the things Mark's great about is you get a lot of different time words. And you're going to see this word immediately, actually about four different times in the passages we're going to look at here. And so the first thing that he did is really what what it's saying. As soon as they got into town, the first thing that Jesus did was he went into the synagogue to teach. And so immediately he goes into the synagogue. Now the synagogue... The synagogue, there would have been many, many, many different synagogues spread out all throughout the region and out throughout the land. Uh, we see in this time period, especially if uh, the synagogue, it's different from the temple that was in Jerusalem. And in the synagogue, the, the, the purpose of the synagogue was only for that they would pray and they would read God's word and they would give exposition on God's word. Those are the activities that would take place in the synagogue, the the times of worship and music and sacrifices, and those things would take place in the temple. But the synagogue was for prayer and teaching. And it was said that if there was 10 or more families in an area, then there would have to be, they were supposed to have a synagogue there so that they they could have teaching on the word of God. And so, and then there would also be someone who was in charge of that, that'd be the ruler of the synagogue. And so there was one of those in Capernaum, and so Jesus, upon entering the city, it says, immediately goes into the synagogue, and he begins to teach. And so as he comes in there, this, this ruler of the synagogue would have uh, had different guys, different uh, rabbis that would be coming in and through, and he would appoint different people to read a passage of scripture and to uh, give some exposition on that passage, explaining that passage. And, and here, evidently, as Jesus came in, he was asked to, to read a passage of scripture and to start teaching on that passage, only it was a little different when Jesus did that. It says in verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority. But they were astonished. So as Jesus started reading through God's word, it was unbelievable. Literally, that, that word uh, astonished, it, it, uh, 
It, it gives the idea of, uh, of, of they, were, they were speechless. They were struck dumb by, by what was said. You can just imagine it. I told you it's so easy to gloss over this and lose sight of it. But as Jesus got up and started teaching, unlike the scribes, what normally they would be teaching, all of a sudden they, they're just hanging on every word and their jaws are just dropped down here. What is this teaching? This was so different than what they were used to. It says they were astonished by his teaching. And why? Because he taught as one who had, what's the word? Authority. He was in charge. That's what the authority means. He was in charge. Everybody say that. He's in charge. charge. Say it again. He's in charge. He taught with one who had authority. Unlike the scribes. When the scribes would get up and teach, they would get up and teach, and as they start to explain it, what they would do is they would then cite other scribes and other teachers and what they thought about that passage and so on and so forth. When Jesus got up, He could teach from the first person. He was the Word. He is the Word. The living Word of God. Every word that comes out of His mouth is God's Word. He's in charge. And it was such an amazing comparison that it left them speechless when they saw it. I was trying to think through this a little bit and it would be like sitting down and talking constitutional law with a constitutional law professor and have a lot of insight, a lot of, uh, of uh, uh, background maybe in, in constitutional law and for sure would be able to tell me so much more than, than what I would know. Or I could sit down with James Madison, John Adams, who actually wrote the Constitution. I would imagine they would have a little more insight into the original intent of the writings. And that's really what we find here is the fact that they were in awe, they were astonished, they were speechless at the insight and the depth of the insight that Jesus has as he has authority, as he is in charge. This coming week, uh, uh, Tiffany and I are, are going to take a few days, uh, you know, some vacation time, and we're actually heading south here, um, and they're going to end up in Virginia for a family wedding here next weekend, and I'm looking forward to getting away, and uh, we're going to spend a couple days in Kentucky with, uh, with my father-in-law and, and, and his, his wife, and and excited to be with them. And we're actually planning on uh, going to the Creation Museum and going to see the Noah's Ark uh, display there. And uh, I've heard it's just an incredible thing as they've built this uh, replica of Noah's Ark as closely as they can find uh, to what Scripture says in that. And my wife and I, we've been to the Creation Museum. We actually went years ago right after they opened and, and, and are excited to get back and see uh, what has changed and to see Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark has always been one of those things that uh, has always intrigued me 
and, uh, and, and just uh, the study there in the first part of Genesis has been something that I've really been fascinated, even as a little kid. And I think primarily it's because uh, much like what they've done at the Creation Museum, I, I had a, there was a fella in our church when I was a kid growing up. His name was J.L. Ford, and they actually lived a couple houses down from us, and his son I grew up with as well and went to church with them. And uh, he set out to build a, a, a model replica to scale of Noah's Ark. And, and he really, he went through several years of, of in-depth study of that passage and what it would be. And I remember as a kid even going over and being in their basement there uh, with, with his son Jerry and I would just check in to see how his dad's the progress as he was building this ark. And when it was all done, then he actually would go around and actually uh, would, would speak on a little bit and give some stuff and bring this, this two-scale replica of Noah's ark. And it was just an amazing thing. And, and some of the, the, the insight that he brought, you could tell just from, from hours and hours of study and, and building that replica of the ark. And I was thinking about that. We've been planning this trip here for a couple of weeks and, and wanting to hit that stop. And I thought, you know what? It would be like sitting down with him and talking about Noah's ark. Or I could sit down and talk with Noah. As, as much insight as I'm sure the Creation Museum is going to bring, and they, they always do, they do a fantastic job, it would pale in comparison to talk to Noah and his sons who spent over 100 years building the ark, right? And that's what we see. That's what happened here as they were sitting under Jesus' teaching and realizing, oh my goodness, this, he speaks with authority, He's not relaying what was said. He's saying, this is what I say. As God, he had authority. And the comparison was astonishing. It was amazing. So let me ask you this. How's your time with the Lord? You, you can't be in awe of the depth of insight of the teaching of Jesus Christ without being in his word, being in his teaching. And so how's your time with the Lord? Do you, do you have a, a set time? Are, are you purposeful? Are you intentional about that? A time where you can sit down and, and listen and learn and apply the truth to God's word. Where you sit down, Lord, just looking for that one thing that we can see about, about God in this passage. The one thing that we can worship God in this passage and then go after that each day. Be intentional with your time with the Lord. Number two, be in awe of Jesus' power over darkness. Be in awe of Jesus' power over darkness. We continue on in verse 23. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what are we to do with, you, with, with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him. 
and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread throughout all the, of the surrounding region of Galilee. And so Jesus there, as he is teaching, and they are astonished at this teaching, it says, and immediately, second time used here, immediately, while this is going on, the next thing that happens is this man stands up who is demon-possessed, and he cries out in this voice and he says, are you going to destroy us? What are you doing? What are you here for, Jesus? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And then he goes, then he goes further and he says, I know who you are. The Holy One of God. It's a crazy thing here because we see the demonic realm here giving validation to the deity and the holiness of Jesus Christ. Just an incredible thing. As this man, I don't know if he walked in, I don't know if this man had been in the synagogue as this teaching started, but as soon as this teaching and all of a sudden they're realizing, whoa, this is very different than, than, than the normal teaching. We see this, this, this demonic this, this demon-possessed man who stands up. And, and then the questions here. What, why are you interfering with this is really the idea. Have you come to defeat, to destroy us? Notice that pronoun. I think this is a little more than just him in that body right there at that side, but more of just saying on the big picture, Jesus, why have you come And this teaching? Are you putting, are you destroying the demonic realm and and all that was going on, why have you come to destroy us? But Jesus, verse 25, his response. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. So Jesus immediately says, quiet, you come out of him. He shuts him down right away. Now, now what, what is that about? We're going to see even a little later. We see early on in, in Jesus' ministry, uh, he, um, everybody say, he had a plan. He had a plan. And he's starting to slowly reveal, and his ministry starts to unfold little by little. And he wasn't going to front everything at, at first. And so this is, this is not the time. He did not need the demons to announce his ministry here. He's in charge. He has a plan. And so he immediately shuts down the demon from, from saying any more in that. And then he says, come out of this man. Now verse 26. I said before, now don't lose sight of this here. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. And so we see this. Just imagine what this would have been as they're in this smaller gathering of people. Probably not a lot of people, but it was, it was a group that was in this. 
And this, this demonic presence comes in there and he talks to Jesus. Jesus says, Quite, come out of him. And we see this man just flop down on the ground and start shaking and convulsing. And it says that he cried out and I can only imagine, really I cannot even imagine what that must have sounded like. That wasn't the man talking, it was the demon talking crying out as it leaves the body of this man. And we see this unbelievably spectacular and I'm sure scary encounter take place. And what was the response? And they were all amazed. Everybody say, wow. Do you see this? And they're already talking amongst themselves where who is this guy? He speaks with authority. And then they see this interaction with the forces of darkness. And they were amazed. And so they questioned themselves, what is this? A new teaching with, what's the word? What does that mean? He's in charge. A new teaching with authority. They see that Jesus is in charge. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. They see the teaching. They hear the teaching. They're amazed by it. And then they see actual authority in action. And then at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region. Once this takes place, this, this spectacular, frightening, amazing experience, it says then at once, it hits the Twitter feeds. And all of a sudden, man, the word is out. You can just imagine if it was this day, everybody pulls out their phone and they start posting and doing, and then the talk and the and they start. To, I can't believe it. You can't. It was the most amazing thing you ever saw. And they tell and they tell and they tell, and all of a sudden, the name of Jesus of Nazareth becomes just on everyone's tongue throughout that whole region. It says. Don't miss the words that this happened fast. This happened dramatically all at once. Man, it's out there. It's hitting the streets. We're going to see the effects that it had here in just a moment. But at once the entire region knows. You know, I thought this is a, a, a good spot to, to mention the fact. It's, it's Jesus His power over darkness. Being in awe of Jesus' power over darkness. And, and uh, you know, it, it's, there are really a lot of times I, I kind of I categorize a little bit. There, there's kind of two different types of demonic presses that, that we see and experience. I think one of those... Is, is similar to what we read right here. It's that overt, in your face, in the presence of evil kind of experience. Um, there, there's been a, a few times 
in my life where I've just so clearly been and so obviously been in the presence of of, of demonic um, uh, an encounter there. Um, and I, I remember back in a few uh, of there even here. Remember a, uh, one of our trips to Haiti as we were doing a clinic one day, and and uh, a, uh, a a girl came in to this clinic, and uh, just very quickly it was so obvious of the demonic presence that was there with, with this young lady. Um, and, and all I can say is is we're in those times. It's a it's, I'm literally, I'm getting goosebumps just, just saying it right now because you feel it. It's dark. It's, it's all of a sudden, it's this overwhelming despair. Um, it, it's, it's just so clearly evil. It, it, it elicits, there's, a, there's a, a fearful, there's a, a repulsive quality about it. Let me just say there is, there is nothing appealing to it at all. And I think a lot of times they, you see that and it, it drives the emotion. It may drive the emotion of fear and maybe that's what they're going after is to try to prevent us from doing what God calls it. And so it, it, it drives to fear. But there's nothing attractive about it. Um, it it's a... And this thing, it was just as so you... I, I just... You can see it in the eyes. The eyes just would bore through you. The voice was not, it was not, not her voice. We have, we, we see that sometimes. And, and the, but the truth of it is, we really don't see a lot of that in, in, in our circumstances here. And I think that that's, that's one approach that we see, one, one way that we see demonic press. I think for us though, we see a very different press, and it's more subtle, and and, and it's more um, it's more behind the scenes. It, it, it's more camouflaged, and and we start to hear. We know that Satan is a liar, and, and we've had a lot of the on guard series that we had earlier this year, and things where we we talk through a lot of this. Where it's it's those quiet little whispers. It's very much, it's, a, it's almost a, a driving, a self-righteousness there. And I think it's, it's the whispers of the demonic that plays into our flesh. And it's the, you deserve better. I can't believe what they did. Oh my God, they, they, they so disrespected you. They, so it, it, it's so much as lifting up self and making us, and it's like, yeah, that's right. And then it, our, our flesh just kind of feeds on it. And it, it's so, the evil in it is that it's so suggestive, so tempting. Other times it's, it may be just outright tempting to evil as well and, and rationalizing. And I mean, I mean, I know it's not, but ah, you deserve it though. And we get this, this self-rationalization and this, it's, it's these quiet whispers. And I think so often for us, that, that seems to be so often, at least in, 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 in my life, where you just get this little voice and it's like, 
They shouldn't disrespect you that way. And then you start going, I know what they meant. I know what they were trying to do. And we start judging the motives and thinking and we start lifting up self. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So how do we counter demonic press? Well, number one, here's three steps. This is not new, guys. This is uh, straight from uh, the February series on guard. And uh, but just it's worth going over again. What do we do? Number one, turn from sin. As we just came off this last series, we'd say it this way, set your sails. <laughs> Submitting to God, it comes right from James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, and Ephesians 6, where the armor of God, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the demonic realm. And, and the first thing is to, is to submit to God. It's admitting, Lord, you're in charge, and I need to confess my junk. I, I need to confess the sin in my life and, and, and turn from sin so that I can be filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. And so it's setting the sails. It's, it's setting down whatever the sin in that and whatever that demonic press, whatever those whispers are, and however I've taken those whispers and I've started to just start swirling with that and the sin that then came out of that and to be able to say, Lord, I, I, I need to confess that. I need to get it right. Maybe also may need to go to a person too if, 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 if I sin against them as well. But turning from sin, number two, it should drive us to God's word. Should drive us to God's word. And let me tell you what, when you're in the midst of the demonic press, getting into God's word and start reading in God's word, sometimes even just reading it out loud, there is power in the word of God. Amen? Amen. It doesn't say it here in Mark, but in Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted of Satan three different times, every time Jesus' response started off with, it is written. And then he quoted scripture. He went right back to the word and he quoted, verbally said the word of God. So when we're in the times of temptations and pressing the demonic, read God's word, say it out loud. And then number three, then as you're reading through God's word, then going through just bit by bit and start praying that passage back to God. However it applies to you and start walking through and just start, just start praying that back. And you will be amazed at how the demonic press then lifts. exactly what Jesus did when he was tempted. So let me ask you this. How's your worship? How's your worship? Are you standing firm as it says in Ephesians 6? That's the worship, our response to the demonic. Stand firm. Stand firmly on the truth of God's word. How are you doing with those subtle whispers? The lies that you've been disrespected. How are you doing with that? Maybe there's something we need to, even today, be setting down. Confess it. Set that sail. 
confess it, and then drive us to worship as we get into God's word, praying back his word. Number three, be in awe of Jesus' power over sickness. Be in awe of Jesus' power over sickness. Verse 29, and immediately, there it is, third time, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately, another time word here, fourth time, they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various disease and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Says and immediately, so we see this encounter. He's teaching. We see this man who's demon possessed, and he casts out. They are amazed, and, and then it says the next thing that happens. In they leave the synagogue here. By the way, this would have been on the Sabbath. Sabbath was was sundown uh, Friday to sundown on Saturday. And so this probably would have taken place uh, Saturday morning as he was in there teaching. And they leave and they go to. Uh, Simon Peter and Andrew's home there in Capernaum. And so as they walk into their home and they've got the four disciples with Jesus and they step into the house and it says, the first thing to do is they step into this house, they come running to Jesus and say, oh my goodness, you're, you're not going to believe this, but Peter, your mother-in-law is sick with a fever. It says she was down for the count, and I say, and Luke chapter four gives a little more insight. It says she was actually sick with a high fever, and, and to us, we we see a fever, we see high fever. That doesn't necessarily mean a lot to us, but it did to them. This is something that would have been life threatening. This was something very serious. My guess is, is probably even Peter and Andrew. Probably, they probably didn't even know about it yet, because as soon as they walk in, they say, Jesus. Peter's mother-in-law has got, a, got this high fever. She's really sick. And so Jesus, as he comes in, he, he immediately then goes right to where she's at and laying down. And again, just imagine this. He just slowly, casually reaches out, grabs her hand, helps her up. And as she gets up with a little bit of help from Jesus... She's healed instantly. It was immediate and it was complete. It was so complete that she goes from laying on her death's bed with a high fever to making lunch for the boys. Don't miss that. I don't know about you, but when I've been sick and afterwards I need to kind of ease back into things. Nope, she didn't need to. Immediately says, well, it's lunchtime. It's let's start making, let's start making lunch, guys. You guys got to be hungry. We see here, he took her by the hand and she began to serve them. She starts making lunch. We see the awesome, amazing power 
that Jesus Christ has over the physical realm, over sickness. Don't lose sight of it. Can you imagine in just that short period of time from, from, from morning going to the synagogue until lunchtime, what the disciples must have been thinking as they saw this encounter, they heard the teachings, people are amazed, they see cast out of demons, they see a healing that takes place right there, one after another after another, and the word that keeps coming up is what? Authority. He's in charge. And the other word that comes up is amazement. It drove them to awe. They worshiped. Not only that, it says that evening at sundown, why is that significant? Well, because it was during the Sabbath, Friday night to sundown on Saturday night. And so the people there, after seeing all this take place in the morning, but they waited until the Sabbath was over so they wouldn't break any of the rules and restrictions they had about doing certain things that they were or were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. But it says at sundown then, all of a sudden, they look out the front window and it's just filled with people what we see it's a little bit of a hyperbolic statement where it says everyone was there I don't know if that means truly everyone I think it's a little more of just saying look you can't believe it but man everybody was there and showed up this mass of people all of Capernaum and in the surrounding outer areas start collecting out there and not only that they're bringing the people that are sick and they're bringing people that are that are oppressed by demons in here and it says he heals many that day, and really it's a, it's a Hebrew idiom there as I studied it, it really means, it gives the idea that basically all who came were healed. And, and so we see this ministry there into the evening and in through that night where Jesus just goes about healing one after another. And as he cast out those demons, he made them remain silent. Why? It says, because the demons knew him. Because the demons knew that he was the second person of the Trinity, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. And he was still waiting to reveal that there according to his plan. If ever anybody ever struggles with the deity of Jesus Christ, talk to the demons. Even they know and are immediately quick to say who Jesus Christ is. Amen? Amen. Jesus' power over sickness. You know, uh, for a, a, a long time here, a while, really since about 2013, and, and a lot of the struggles that Pastor Tim has gone through, the, the mantra has been, my God can, my God will, and even if my God doesn't, I will worship him. Come straight out of Daniel chapter 3 and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the statement they made to Nebuchadnezzar. And the, just a powerful worship statement of the fact that Jesus has power over sickness. He's got power over that. He can and will heal. But if he chooses not at this time, Physically, in this moment, it's okay because we'll still worship because he is in charge. 
Amen? I mentioned a little bit about the, uh, the, the missions trip to Belize, and, and it's just an, an awesome week that took place. Uh, th- there was other things that went on as well through the week, and we, we had a, a couple of, uh, well, we had one that, that was injured kind of in the middle of the week, and there were some things that we kind of cared for that, and not, not a big deal, but, but, but it was a concern for a little bit. We had a couple that were kind of sick a little bit. For me, I actually started the trip a little under the weather even before we left, and so uh, it was all good, though. I mean, still functioned, did everything we wanted to. And uh, then God does this just an awesome week, just amazing things that take place. God at moment, uh, God at work moment, one after another after another. And then we get to the last day, and the last day was kind of a free day, kind of coming down from all of the ministry and the, and the uh, man, it was very busy with lots of ministry things, and so had, had a little bit of time to relax there that last afternoon, evening, got up the next morning, and we start heading, of course, we had to, we had to take a, a ferry, uh, about a, an hour boat ride to the airport to the fly, you know, one flight after another, and start that long trek home, and, and uh, uh, we had... Um, a number of people that were started getting sick. Like, I mean, like, really getting sick. Like, you know, a plane is the worst place you want to be when you're, you're getting what I mean, right? And so all <laughs> entailed there, um, ended up having about 25 to 30 that, that actually got sick while we were traveling home or in the next few days, uh, ended up with the, uh, five of us that ended up in the emergency room or at the doctor after we got back with some things. For me, I, I missed yesterday or last week, Sunday morning, because I was uh, still coming off some of that. And uh, just, you know, it's amazing when they start pumping antibiotics in you, <laughs> what can be taken care of in that. And so praise the Lord for, for that as well. Why do I say all that? Well, I say is, as we were driving home from the emergency room and I went in and they ran some tests and they gave me a whole bunch of antibiotics and, and said I'd be fine in about a day or so. But as we were driving back, Tiffany said to me, she, she kind of looked at me and said, you know, you said this was one, probably one of the best trips you've ever been on. Maybe there was a little bit of cost on the backside of that. It was really a profound statement because I, I think it's true. But, but, but hear me now. He's in control over it all. I started thinking about what if that had happened on the plane ride down? What if that had happened on the first couple of days? And think of all the ministry and all that would have been missed out. And yet, nope, not everything went just according to his plan and the effectiveness of all of that. And there was a little bit of cost on the backside, but I will say this. I, I just, without a doubt, you ask any of us that went on that trip, and we would say, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. Wouldn't Bat and I would immediately, I'd do it again, sign me up, ready to go. He's in control. God's in charge. So how's your worship? How's your worship? We can worship God even in our sickness. 
even in our physical difficulties, take it to him. He has authority. He's in charge. Worship your God. No matter what you're going through this week, Lord, just take that time to hear from him. Spend time in his word. Be in awe of who he is and what he does and worship him through that as you dive into his word this week. As you feel at times the, the, the presses, the demonic, and the, the raising up of self, and the, the whispers, or whatever it is that may go on, and maybe not right now, but at some point you will. Worship him through that. He's in charge of that. Confess it. Go to his word. Pray it back to him. If you're going whatever the struggles and physical struggles, you're, he's in charge all authority even over sickness we can worship him through those difficulties and all God's people said amen let's pray 